Legal disclaimer. Stamp show here today. Its affiliates and organizations are not responsible for any maiming, dismemberment, or physical injury from listening to this podcast. It is suggested that all listeners wear proper head protection and fasten all seatbelts. Discontinue use of rash develops. Ask your physician if Stamp Show Here Today is right for you. Live from the Stamp Show Here Today infotainment complex, this is the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. You can support this witless tosh by joining the Stamp Show Here Today community. The cost is only $10 for a lifetime membership. We are an APS-affiliated club. Listen to the end credits for information on joining. This is Cash. This is Mark. This is Jim. And we have a note on counterfeits. And I know people hate hearing about counterfeits, but this one I just thought was interesting. Uh, Shout out to Joe W. Thank you for the email. Um, The one-cent Apple stamp and the two-cent lemon stamp. You're aware of those, right? right? Yes. Mm-hmm. They come in big, long coils. Uh, generally speaking, I think the smallest coil you could get is 1,000. Yeah. And it may be, you yeah, know... I think 3,000, actually. I, yeah, it might be 3,000. So, you know, you, it's these big, huge things. The counterfeiters sell them as sheet stamps. They have <laughs> sheets of the one-cent apple and the two-cent lemon. Huh. Hey, a variety. So, <laughs> so it's Perforated like, all around. So uh, I, I don't know what to say. Wow. You're counterfeiting. They're one creating their own issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty soon they'll be announcing in Lens, you know, new issue. And, uh, and they'll just create their own U.S. stamps, you know, with brand new designs. You know, a funny thing. Um, there was a stamp that I got in a collection. And it was, I think, I forget what it was. Um, it was like a $9.50 stamp or something. It was a long version, and it had a picture of the SST airplane on it, U.S. postage. And it was a fake stamp. But I guarantee you, if you had put that on an envelope, somebody at the post office would say, well, it looks official. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, wondering because, you know, if you just made flat-out fakes, yeah, you would probably be in a better legal situation than counterfeiting actual stamps. Yeah, so well, just a weird one. We we've all seen labels go through the mail. Oh yeah, I, I mean, collect Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine, Alfred E. Newman for president. Yeah, the four cent stamp. Yep, I have uh, two covers where Alfred E. Newman stamps went through. Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting if they if they not only faked the stamps but also uh, infringed on uh, on um, intelligent or uh, intellectual property. Like, you know, if they were to come out with Disney stamps, you know, a whole new set of Disney stamps, you know, not authorized <laughs> by Disney. Yeah. And then just you know put U.S. postage on there. Yeah, you know, but, forever stamps. But then you'd have the Disney attorneys after you, right? And they actually go after people. The U.S. Post Office doesn't, but <laughs> I have a funny feeling Disney attorneys are—they're heartless and ruthless. <laughs> so I got an email uh, from Wolverine Stamps on eBay, and they bought something from me. So he, here's what they sent: Hello, stamps got here fine. Thanks. 
I had no idea I was dealing with cash and was surprised to see the flyer in the envelope. When you buy from me on eBay, I, I use a stuffer. And the stuffer is a heavier gauge, well, heavier thickness paper that's uh, coated. It's a coated paper. So when I fold it three times and put a stamp inside of it, it works as a really good stiffener and it's slightly water resistant. So that's what he's talking about there. I remember listening to you talking about a pile of postal stationery you bought for less than envelopes, and now I got one. <laughs> I listen to you guys all the time and have been meaning to join the club, but keep putting it off. I will do so this week. I was out in Vegas a month ago and was going to come to lunch on Tuesday, but the timing didn't work out. I'm coming back on pleasure in January. I will see you all at South Point then. Best wishes, Alan at Wolverine Stamps. So thank you very much, Alan. Always great to hear from a listener. Yeah, see, I, I don't admit to being on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, well, what I do, it would, and I know I said this before, and it's been going on, you know, since COVID. So this is how many of these envelopes I've gotten. But I got, uh, I couldn't get envelopes from home or Office Depot or any place. So you couldn't buy them. But I could get first day covers and postal stationery, obsolete postal stationery and all sorts of stuff. So I bought, I think, eight boxes. And I think I've still got three or four of them. But uh, what I do is, you know, it'll have like a first day cover and it'll have the stamps and then the first day cancel. And then I just make sure that I use like 13 cent stamps. So I use five of them. And it covers the old stamp and the old cancel. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think, honestly, I have about uh, at least a thousand more covers that people are going to be getting. So anyway, check out Wolverine Stamps. Shout out to you. And uh, yeah, w w when we were at lunch at South Point, we were talking about uh, making the lunch an actual stamp club. Yes. And uh, we're, and Mark came up with a great name for it. <laughs> Lunch Vegas. Lunch Vegas. Instead of Las Vegas, it's Lunch Vegas. So it would be the most expensive stamp club to be a part of. Yeah, because it's it's twenty one dollars per per meeting. <laughs> yeah, it, it, if you join for free, and yeah. you can remain a member if you never come to lunch. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, for free. After I get it set up, I'm going to see how many people want to join for free, uh, and everybody can just you know join. Yeah. And then when you come down, it costs 21 bucks, but you get a buffet with it. Right. Yeah. And and you <laughs> get with food. great philatelic conversation. Yeah. And by the way, it's 21 dollars. It's what 19 dollars and 25 cents now. 1965, I think, 19, plus tax. Yeah. So uh, it's 19... Plus tax and tip. We're calling it 22. Pre-COVID, it was $13. I know. It went from $13 to $19. Yep. And then a dollar tip. That's how you get to 20 It's still a good buffet. Oh, it's a great buffet. I always considered it $5 for the meal and $15 for the camaraderie, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Not too bad. There's a lot of people who, you know, we went to, and nothing against Golden Corral. 
Nothing. I know there's people out there who love Golden Corral, but we went to Golden Corral. And it's like, you know, it's cheaper, but I don't really come for the food. I come for the conversation and meeting with people and the social aspect. And uh, Golden Corral just wasn't that nice of a place to meet, whereas South Point Buffet, you know, because it's a presentation place, it's a casino. Right. You know, they put the extra effort into making the place look good. Yeah, I think Golden Corral's idea is... There's a table, there's chairs. You can sit there. Stuff but yourself. It's, yeah, but it's not, I mean, there's no slot machines going off or yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you, well, Jim Forty summed it up pretty well. He said it's got a great salad bar and a great dessert bar, and everything between is like, eh. <laughs> but the room we were in, too, it... it yeah, you know, it just, yeah. yeah. I mean, we sometimes we, our largest group we ever had was 24 people. So, getting 24 people into a buffet, you know, you can't order at a restaurant because 24 people ordering all at one time would just crush the kitchen. But, you know, we've had 24 people before. Hmm. Yeah, well, you have to explain if we meet like that, we're not meeting in a great big round table. Or something like that. You'll be in seats, probably the tables fit six people. And sometimes we put two together so we can get 12. Yeah. But you only really have a conversation with the six. Yeah. Well, because yeah. you can't hear yeah. anybody down the end of the table. Yeah. So even if we're in separate tables, you're still surrounded by philatelists and food. <laughs> and that's the thing that they don't do it anymore. Well, they haven't done it to us in a while. But, you know, they'll have like two tables which fit six people. And they'll put eight chairs there. Yeah. And we've had it before where they put ten chairs. And it's like, dudes, <laughs> you know, we're not eight-year-olds. <laughs> if we were eight years old, we would fit. <laughs> Yeah, it's like back in the back in the olden days when they had the lounge shows and uh, they would just like pack you in like bugs. Yeah, you know. <laughs> okay, well, let's get serious here. In the last podcast, this is uh, from David P. Uh, shout out to David. Uh, in the last podcast, number four twenty one, you mentioned the new Scott's catalog is out and it no longer contains a section on proof in essays. Being a proof in essay collector, I have some major concerns. And then he has three questions. Will the prices of stamps go down like those of United Nations, which was also removed from the catalog? Number two, will someone be updating the Turner Guide? I think the reference date, the last one is 1970s. And number three, what do you, SSHT experts, especially Albert, Albert's not here today, uh, since he was a member of the Proofs Essays Society. I didn't even know there was a Proofs and Essays. Well, yeah, there's a society for everything. Uh, what does he think will happen? Please talk about this on a future podcast. Best of all, Dave. Um, how about not a future podcast? How about a present day podcast? Yeah, let's talk about it now. Okay. So first of all, will the prices of these stamps go down like the United Nations? Well, let's ignore United Nations. Will the price of stamps go down? I would say that um, that it won't change the price, the fact that it's not in the main Scott catalog. Um, 
because to me, the what really affects the price of a stamp um, is whether or not it's in an album, whether or not there's a picture of that stamp in an album that you buy. That's that's what's going to affect the, the price of the stamp and the popularity of the stamp. Are they going to issue a separate um, magazine or a se- a separate oh, I'm sure addendum? they will. I'm sure because they Because they did that, A, for the UN, and B, for the pricing guide. Pricing guide. Yeah. So here's my opinion. If you take it out of the al- uh, out of the Scott's catalog, it reduces demand. So there will be a reduction. But for the same reason that Mark said, I don't think it'll be a grand reduction. It'll be a slightish reduction. Um, we remember they used to have Marshall Islands and Palau and those mm-hmm. in the catalog. And there was great demand for it. Then they removed it, and the demand cratered. So there is a definite correlation between being listed in the U.S. specialized and, in this case, well, in the case of the Marshall Islands, they moved it into, you know, the M section, you know, mm-hmm. volume number four or five or whatever it was. In this one, it's disappearing entirely. You have to have a specific book, give it 10 years, well, give it 20 years, and nobody is going to have a 2023 catalog, or 2022, sorry, 2022 catalog sitting on their desk, because mm-hmm. it's going to be like 20 years old. And if we have a lot of inflation, the catalogs may go away sooner than that. So the odds of holding an old catalog is really slim. So the problem is, is that you're going to have the references in the 2022 Scott's catalog in 2030. And they're going to look at it and say, this stamp is worth $200. And they're going to price it at $200, ignoring the fact that you've had 10 years of inflation or five years of inflation or price increases or whatever. So will it have an effect? It'll have a very, in my opinion, it'll have a small effect immediately and a grand effect over time. Yeah, the, the comparison to United Nations, though, is uh, is not quite right because United Nations kind of screwed themselves by demonetizing their stamps. Um, so that's why they're just worthless now. <laughs> well, they are... <laughs> It's funny because there are some very avid collectors of United Nations. The hitches that really, from I'm going to say 1995 on, the stamps are in relatively low supply. And for the first 10 years of the United Nations, 19. 40, 1952, I think, was first issue. 49, 50s, something yeah, like that. Yeah. So let's say before 1960, the stamps are everywhere and valueless. And so it's really, United Nations is a really mixed bag, but, you know, when they take it out of the U.S. and put it in the U section, you know, of Scott's catalog number eight or whatever they're going to be up to, um... I think that it'll be treated as a regular old country. And as we said in the last podcast, the 
value of a stamp is determined in its nation of origination. And the United Nations isn't a nation. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. I have a question to ask. Um, AMG stamps um, issued under the U.S. Allied Military Government never been in the specialized catalog. You find you you find them listed either in Italy or Germany. Germany, yeah. yeah. And um, I wonder just how much the demand would be different if it were treated like Shanghai overprints or. Philippines overprints or whatever. Oh, I think it would skyrocket. Yeah, they used to be in the Scott in the, yes, in the Scott did. albums. Yeah, yeah. you know, you, yep. you see, you still see them in the old albums. Yep. Well, the harsh part about proofs and essays also is, like you said, they're never going to be really in an album because there are so many of them, and people find new ones all the time because you know. You'll go to Jim Lee, shout out to Jim Lee, the, the number one expert, and he'll say, oh, yeah, I've seen that one. There's about 20 of them that exist. Uh, you know, they did them on an off day because, you know, they were just experimenting around. Yeah. But then it's not listed in the catalog. Well, I, I think there's always going to be a demand for those um, in a certain cycle, circles like the letter writer, the email was from somebody who collects that stuff. Oh, yeah. And there's obviously collectors that collect it. Um, there, you also have it. You think of your um, specialty in the 1851 issue. If you're going to exhibit that, you're going to have to have the essays. You're going to have to have those kinds of things in an, essay, in a, uh, an exhibit. So there will always be certain demand for it and um but i do think it 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 harms it if it's not in the specialized catalog having said that i can hardly carry a specialized around anymore they're so big and heavy they should take more out of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah but the newest one is quite a bit thinner though the yeah yeah 2024 well they took the identifier out they've taken they've taken a lot of stuff out that is very helpful but it's not really the stamps cataloged itself, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it, <clears throat> the first price that appears in the Scott's catalog, I think, is on page like thirty. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, there's like twenty nine pages before it of just stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, yeah. The other thing they did in twenty twenty four is they reduced the size of all the pictures. Yeah, that's that's a smart thing to do. I mean, you, the picture only has to be so large. Okay, what about a second part? Will somebody update the Turner Guide? I think that there is now, with it being removed, a vacuum that will be filled with somebody. And uh, there are some really big proof and essay people out there, and you may not... You know, the Turner catalog may turn into the Lee catalog. Yeah. And James Lee may do it. Or, or uh, you know, Turner Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Lee it, Turner, whatever. Ob- obviously, if it's been um, 30, 40, 50 years since somebody's done the catalog, yeah. that 
it needs to be updated. And since there's not going to be, I don't know what they'll do with the section, whether they'll just continue to publish it as a separate little book or just not do anything with it at all. I don't know. But it just seems to me that uh, this will... The impact to taking those things out is the impact for those numbers that were moved from Scott number, uh, whatever whatever they were, forty through sixty or whatever oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Those those that were moved from the Scott number to the SA section. Yeah, yeah. People who because uh, that hurt. They were hurt just by doing that. Imagine yeah. now they're not even in the catalog. Yeah, if you want to look it up, uh, like Scott number 42, there isn't one. Right. Yeah. It's now 65E something. Or, right, yeah. exactly. Right. So they took this section out and put it into the proofs and essays. Uh, well, if, and again, there probably is, I apologize profusely, if there's a proof and essay society and Scott's catalog, first of all, Undoubtedly, Scott's catalog probably gets their information from them. Scott's doesn't really, I mean, they edit numbers and they put it all in their format. But a lot of their information comes from other people. So, you know, you may not have a Turner. You may have a, uh, what is what would it be, a PES, Proofs and Essay Society, a PES catalog. Like you have a PSS uh, for Postal Stationery. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Postal Stationery Society puts out their own catalog, and they put it out, you know, I think every, like, 10 or 15 years. But well, it's, it's far it's more in-depth than was gonna, I was just going to say it's so much more in-depth. Yeah. And that that is, for a specialist and somebody that collects that, that's a very important thing to have. Yeah. You, you know, what might also boost that uh, collecting area is if somebody comes up with an album. Um, like uh, Mike Aldrich did with the um, with Match of Medicine, yeah, where yeah. he created his own album and album pages and sold it, and and, uh, and I actually have my my uh, uh, my revenue collect collection of, of uh, Match of Medicine is mounted on Aldrich pages. Yep, that's a cool album too. I've yeah. I've had one and sold it immediately. They they're quite in demand. <clears throat> so let's see. Third question. Uh, what do you think? Oh, what do you think about the uh, proof and essay society? I think we just went over it. So, Mark, what crossed your desk? Uh, well, I have a uh, I had an interesting uh, piece of postal stationery come by my uh, across my desk. Um, it was in a hoard of stamps that I bought, and uh, it was a it's a, um, a cut square that was overprinted um, with the with the two cent and bars. And it's a U459, which is a um, three-cent uh, dark purple stamp. But this stamp appears green. And um, there is a, there is a two-cent overprint that is green, but it's a different design. And so there is a question mark on the, uh, on the uh, envelope that the stamp was in. The, the uh, collector couldn't figure out what the heck this thing was when it's actually a color changeling. Somebody had... Um, had modified the color and somehow removed um, 
uh, we're, we're trying to figure out what colors they removed in order to, for it to appear green. It's not a it's not a bright green. It's sort of like it has a hint of green. It <clears throat> to me, it's sort of like the uh, Rutherford B. Hayes sort of green, the yeah. bluish greens of the eleven cent uh, Hayes stamp. Yeah, the fourth bureau Hayes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they they removed uh, obviously the red um, out of the purple, um, and um, and I guess you know some of the bluish, but uh, but yeah, it, it definitely is a is a color changeling. Well, red red can be removed with UV light, so can yellow. So uh, I can see why the red went away. Mm-hmm. I can't see why it wouldn't be a blue stamp, why it's more of a green stamp. Right. But somehow this is altered. Somebody had written on the back a U four sixty, which I think is the is the is the three cent green. Yeah. But the but the uh but that stamp is it's a it's a wholly different design. So yeah, kind of an interesting little little item there. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. People find color changelings all the time, especially with the purple stamps turning into red stamps or turning into blue stamps. And uh, they go, oh, look at this, look at this. And they go, yeah, you, you know. Just. Or the yellow color missing or something. Well, that's the one we discussed with the duck stamp on mm-hmm. the last podcast. Yep. And uh, I'm going to step back real quick because when we were discussing that duck stamp, we totally didn't describe what the duck stamp was. So I forget what year it is, but... It's two ducks flying, and the beaks and some of the flower, uh, the feathers on the back and stuff, they're yellow. So they have like these yellow and red sort of feathers. And those colors are gone, and it's just like black. It's just like black and white. And again, you know, they, they used UV to remove the yellow. And I wonder if they did the same thing here. Again, you know, who knows? There's right. a couple different ways to remove red. Would would the um, yellow disappear um, in sunlight, UV sunlight, or yeah. would it have to be treated? No, you could do it. Um, I have seen so many times could, where... It could be that somebody unintentionally did it and somebody else yeah. came along and thought, oh... It's a missing color. Yeah. Yeah, instead of just nefariously done by somebody trying to fake it. There was a uh, stamp store in Tustin, California. And uh, facing the street, they had, like, their wares in the window. And some of them were stamps. And, you know, they just let them sit there for years. And in the end, you know, all the stamps were discolored. Well, looking at it, saying, yeah, it's obvious this is a window next to the sunlight, next to the street. I understand totally. But if you take those sheets and then you break them up, mm-hmm. you put them in books, you take them out of context, and they go, oh, this isn't because it was in a window on the street. This is right. because uh, <laughs> the post office used the wrong inks or something. It's like, yeah. no, 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 no. Yep. So, Jim, what crossed your desk? Well, I had a order of um, Blood's Local come uh, across my desk and the um, these were the envelopes that it, they were cut squares off of the bloods envelopes um, so one of the I, I wanted to bring this up for 
first of all, because I consider myself to be a local yokel. <laughs> and, but I collect uh, Wells Fargo, uh, Nevada Expresses, things like that, um, and uh, Western locals, which are few and far between. Most of the locals are. But anyway, so I had to consult um, Larry Lyons' book on identifying carriers, locals, fakes, forgeries, and bogus posts. Three volumes, um, thousand pages. Larry Lyons, the head of the PF. Yes, a, a fantastic. Yeah, expert and collector. And and he's done a great job on this. I mean, this, talk about something that's twenty five years old. You know. Oh yeah. But, um, and so I was able to go through and identify the different locals and confirm in my own mind anyway that they were um, genuine. The point is is that we've used the, these books a couple of times to uh, ferret out the forgeries and the fakes. And uh, basically, I mean, Scott Catalog lists 150 different companies, I guess. And so that gives you an idea because they don't list any of the express companies or express things like um, uh, Franks for the different Western Expresses and the Eastern Expresses that you see around. That's a whole different section. And well, they weren't used to pay postage. Well, the Fra actually, the Franks were used to pay the rate for the carrier, just like the carrier stamps were. But because they weren't adhesives and... They served a different purpose. Larry didn't include them. Uh, he says, the, I'm not including those except where I break my own rules, <laughs> which I really like. <laughs> he should be on our podcast. But we, uh, when, when you look at uh, like um, a Western Express cover, or for that matter, some of the Eastern Expresses too, their Franks were actually to designate, okay, you're paying... Three cents for the postage, but you're buying this for five cents. And the two cents was designated by the franc. And, um, but they did, Wells Fargo, for example, did issue stamps. And we all, I was talking to Mark earlier about it. Almost everybody knows what Wells Fargo stamps are, <laughs> you know, or, or what the company was. And it's, it's historically famous. It's still the bank is still operating by that name. So it's it's one of those that um, even non collectors probably would recognize that name. But um, most of these little uh, carrier stamps were issued in the eighteen forties and so forth, and they were almost immediately. Uh, reprinted and or forged in the 1880s and 90s. And so even old, it, it's kind of like the old um, uh, Confederate um, locals. You know, they're just, they were faked early on. Well, because it was legal to fake them. Yeah, and, and 
and they were sold as reprints and yeah. fakes. I mean, fillers. But they weren't. But, but they, they were, were not, housed in yeah. grandpa, great grandpa's album that you dig out of the attic, and they're in there with old stamps, and it looks like you've got the original stuff, and you don't. Yeah, you, you hear all the time. How could this be fake? It came from a, a collection from the 1960s, yeah. and it's like you could have a collection from the 1890s uh-huh. and have these fakes in it. Yeah, and so. Um, Anyway, it's a three-volume set. We have a uh, library, philatelic library, that has the reference books in it. Um, I, w- I wouldn't recommend that you go out and buy it simply because you want to collect one or two locals. But you can get them expertized. And uh, generally speaking, if you um, go to a library or something, you can find out pretty quickly whether you have the right stuff or not. Anyway, that's my little spiel. Yeah, locals are great. Uh, Lysander Spooner, mm-hmm. for those of you who... Uh, now, a bunch of you are going, oh, he mentioned Lysander Spooner, and uh, the other bunch are going, who the hell is Lysander Spooner? <laughs> um, if you want to see an interesting fellow, Google Lysander Spooner. But he started the American Mail Letter Company. And basically, he said, you know, the post office doesn't have a monopoly here and went to um, court. And the court said, yeah, the post office doesn't have a monopoly. And uh, they go, well, what about over postal routes? You know, uh, Lysander, we're putting you out of business. You go, no, I'm taking you back to court. And the court goes, no, he can do that. And so every time he beat the post office, but eventually he ran out of money because the post office has more attorneys than he did. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like fighting the Disney attorneys. Yeah. (laughs) So what basically boiled down to after, and I forget what the date is, but uh, it's somewhere in the mid uh, 1850s is the post office said, we are not going to pursue intercity um, dispatches. So you have Bloods, you have Pomeroy's, you have you have several of them that were the biggies. And again, these were in the 1850s all the way up to the 1860s when finally the post office said, yeah, we're putting everybody out of business. And everybody said, okay, fine, we're good. Um, so in the 1880s and 1890s, People remembered these post offices from, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago where they were getting letters from it. So it was a collecting interest for them. They go, yeah, these are the U.S. post office stamps and these are the local stamps. Well, as time has gone by, nobody (laughs) receives anything. You know, now it's like FedEx and stuff like that, but they don't issue stamps and when they did issue stamps the post office said no 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 don't do that so the uh in the 1870s 1880s 1890s people remembered the local posts and they collected the local posts today nobody remembers the local posts and uh so it's a just for us it's a sort of a story of the past for them it was real life occurrences Yeah, and I collect the locals that relate to the West, Mm. and there's a few of those. But um, that's where I got got interested in Wells Fargo stamps, um, the Humboldt Express stamp, which is a very valuable one. Um, 
one of the things that you were talking about, Congress passed a law in the on the July first, eighteen fifty one, that changed the rate to three cents. Uh, provided that you could have carrier service pick up the mail and deliver to the post office because that at that time they didn't have carrier per se. So this would be your city letter people. Right. And they were restricted. They couldn't charge more than one or two cents to uh, do that. It had to be less than the postage. But that's a lot of what those are is designating, yeah, you paid your one cent and we carried it to this post office. But as time went on, the post office became started delivery service and they started, started putting picking, letter boxes letter on boxes the corners and, and so forth yeah. and so yeah by i don't know i mean as early as the 1830s they were uh there were services picking up letters and taking oh, yeah. them to the post office yeah. and some of them even had stamps but yeah generally by the 1870s or so it, that was done yep and Anyway, it's a very interesting historical era. Well, my from uh, a moneymaker standpoint, okay, moneymaking. <laughs> well, now there was something we need to talk about. Wells Fargo put out a whole bunch of newspaper stamps. They're little blue stamps, and they say Wells Fargo on them, and it says uh, over our routes and stuff like that. Little blue stamp. And I think they catalog like, 10 bucks, maybe 15 bucks. Mm-hmm. And they're always in crappy condition, so you always pick them up cheap. You and there's reprints. No, which... they never they never reprinted those. Didn't they? No, yeah, I think would... they reprinted some of them. Um, okay, maybe. But didn't you... counterfeit them. No. So they used the regular plate, the original yeah. plates, yeah. So th- you get these and you put them on eBay and you sell them to Western history collectors. Mm-hmm. And so a stamp collector will look at it and go, well, that's a crappy-looking stamp. A Western history collector will go, oh, this is a crappy-looking stamp. It's probably because it like went on Pony Express or something yeah. like that. Survived an uh, Indian attack across the plains. So I buy them whenever I can because I know that I'm going to sell them for double, triple, quadruple to non-stamp collectors. Here, here's another thing about those stamps. If uh, finding legitimate use of that stamp is like a oh, ten, it's impossible. $10, $10 catalog. Look under the yeah. subtitle on on cover with a number yeah. 65 or whatever it is, you know, and it's like $1,000 because there are not very many of them. Most of them were used, the, the newspaper stamps obviously were used um, on uh, wrappers yeah. for the newspaper. And so they didn't survive at least on full wrappers so yeah you you see them every once in a while you find something that's very interesting historically oh there's another statement <laughs> since i'm sharing um another stamp that you make a whole bunch of money on is uh japan after they bombed pearl harbor they issued a pair of two semi-postals one of them was the uh, taking of the Philippines, and the other one is the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And it's a blue stamp, and it shows ships and all that stuff. And it's their successful attack. It's commemorating their successful attack on Pearl Harbor. Nobody really cares about the Philippines one, but the Pearl Harbor stamp. Oh man! It. it I and again, you know, you. I think it catalogs like three dollars, in never hinged condition, and you get them hinged. 
And it's like, what are they worth? 50 cents? No, 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 no. They're worth five, six, seven bucks on eBay to people who are not stamp collectors who want World War II memorabilia. Yeah. And uh, that's one also. Very interesting. You know, just the aside from it. Selling to non-stamp collectors. Yeah. Anything else? Happy collecting. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! <laughs> Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.